This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the quarantine ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 601 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, my name is Joe Patrick. And my name is Matt Baum. Folks, whether you are celebrating a happy Honda days or a Toyota-thon, we are all welcome here for the Hanukkah Drunk Show today on the show the cosmic long box is crackling with energy, and it's got a whole pile of comics from the past for us to review and discuss. Yeah, we decided to get drunk and hang out with a bunch of kids. <laughs> yeah, that's what you do, right? I mean, it's the holidays. <laughs> Prepare yourselves, puny humans, because we're about to be sucked into the cosmic time stream. The cosmic long box calls Matt, and woe be to those that do not answer the call. Open the Cosmic Long Box! You know, you got that little boy thing That made my throat all scratchy. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. So uh, those of you who are uh, part of our Patreon get to watch this raw video. We are slugging on Manischewitz right out of the bottle in true Hanukkah drunk style. And uh, this week's Cosmic Long Box... I've got a head start. We're both sipping on the Concord grape. That's a good choice. This week's Cosmic Longbox theme is Super Kid Teams. There is a long and storied history of miners putting themselves in costumes and fighting crime and sometimes supervillains that they have no business fighting. But we're not going to let that stop them, Joe. Why don't you start yeah, off? Yeah, it's kind of it's like Marvel, one of Marvel's big storylines right now. It really is. And you know what? I agree with them. This shit should be outlawed. This is a bad idea. <laughs> Kids shouldn't smoke, drink, have sex, or put on costumes and be superheroes. I think we can all or agree with that. Or fight Sabretooth. Yeah. <laughs> or fight Sabretooth in the sewers. Absolutely not fight Sabretooth, but we'll get to that. Joe Patrick, why don't you start off this underage party? Well, before we do, Excelsior. Chin chin. Oh, God, that's terrible. Oof. <laughs> it just slips right down. It's so too. smooth. It goes down smooth. <laughs> My first review is of Superman number eight from DC Comics. 1987 was the year. Sorry, my, my mouth won't stop watering now. <laughs> I know, mine too. <laughs> I have been in love with the Legion of Superheroes from the moment I was able to hold a comic book. Like but we weird, sexy love. Not like love. No, love, no. Like, like platonic, yeah. like nah. I love you, man, love. Nah. But all I ever had of theirs to read were a couple of dog-eared copies of DC's Blue Ribbon Digest, which were uh, which was a reprint series uh, that you could get like at the supermarket checkout lane, you know. This was my first real exposure to the team in the modern day at the time, and I was obsessed all over again. This is Superman's first meeting with the team after his history was reset post Crisis on Infinite Earths, and the Legion is understandably confused to find that he doesn't know them. Turns out this was part of DC's convoluted plan to keep the Legion intact, despite the fact that the crisis 
wiped out the entire basis for their existence. <laughs> Nine-year-old Joe Patrick didn't concern himself with such things back then. All that mattered to me was seeing a modern take on the team's origin and how they changed in the years since my last reprint book had come out. I'm a huge fan of John Byrne and his take on the Man of Steel and seeing him tackle one of my favorite concepts along with amazing art inked by, it's not Carl Kessel. I believe it's inked by Terry Austin, isn't it? I'm looking. Let's see here. Carl Kessel's on the inking. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. Well, Carl Kessel, still a great inkler. Yeah. Still a great inkler. <laughs> Carl Kessel, you that uh, guy's an inkler. I'll tell you what. You're a great inkler, <laughs> Carl Kessel. Uh, but, like, it's just a delight to look at. Like, there's a scene. There's one scene. It's just a panel where Superman obliterates a huge limestone boulder in midair. And it's so detailed with all the shrapnel that yeah. he creates from this midair punch that it's just like, whoa. And then there's another, uh, there's another huge panel, um, with like the entire legion of superheroes from that era, like just like coming at you. And it's just like, uh, like I poured over that page, like trying to figure out who were the characters that I didn't know that had been introduced since the last time I'd read them. I would eventually track down the rest of this crazy tale. Uh, that is a story for a later episode. It's weird and the lengths they go to to try to keep the legion as is were a little bit insane but superman number eight is legitimately one of my favorite single issues of all time and it gets a huge buy it i'm I'm not gonna say this is bad i'm not gonna do that it, this just this comes at me with zero point of reference whatsoever I wasn't reading you don't superman. need it superman doesn't have that point of reference either well I mean and I know that but I mean I guess I was as confused as Superman was. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and that's totally fine. Like right. there were, there were probably lots of new readers coming on to Superman for the first time. I, I think this is ballsy for what they were doing it to set up. Like, I like the idea that they're dealing with the fact that crisis changed everything and fundamentally changed Superman. And it doesn't make any sense to these other characters and whatnot reading it. It comes off as ballsy. I'll say that. Very ballsy that they were willing to do this. Uh, Dan Jurgens, I have realized he's a very talented artist, and I'm not taking anything away you from You mean John, John Byrne? Pardon me. John Byrne is a very talented artist, and I'm not taking anything away from him, but I think it's easy to forget how good he was. And inkers like Carl Kessel make John Byrne look like the legend that he was. And this book is gorgeous. Yeah. Now, with that said, it opens with hairy chested, sexy Clark shirt oh, yeah, off. Dude, he was a beefcake. Oh man. He was he was like he's like ripping a tree out of the ground. And Lana's just like sitting there watching, like, oh Clark. And Lana's kind of a dog faced <laughs> like horse beast here. <laughs> yeah, no, Lana, uh, like Lana Lang at that time was like a very okay, like there are reasons for this. Like Lana Lang. At the end of the post-crisis Superman's introduction uh, in the Man of Steel miniseries, uh, Clark is like, I love you, baby, but I need to leave Smallville right. to go find myself right. and become a hero. Find a hot chick like Lois. And she, and, and, well, and like they, were in, like they were just getting out of high school at the time. She was 18 and, you know, hot 18, whatever teen. And she he like he just wrecked her he's like you you just told me all of this stuff and now you're leaving yeah i mean that's and then not for years 
he shows back up and it kind of like breaks her. And uh, so, yeah, she's this like very plain Midwestern uh, girl whose life never accounted for anything because, you know, all her dreams got shattered. Sure. And then she ends up getting brainwashed by the Manhunters. It's a whole thing. It happens. This is a weird different story. This is a super weird chapter in Superman's life. And I, I I never read any of this. So going back and reading it, it's so I mean, not completely different from the Superman no, that like I know. You know who Superman is, yeah. right? Like there's but nothing unfamiliar here. No, but he is a it's a there's a different tone to this Superman. He's kind of an asshole. Yeah, he's, <laughs> Honestly. He's, he's confident. He's yeah. a bit cocky. Yeah. You know? uh, and, and like it, it's sort of like how Batman went through that phase where he's like, I'm a nice guy, Batman. I do my thing, but I'm Batman. And got meaner and uglier and darker and you know, as time went on. Yeah. This Superman was kind of cocky. <laughs> and it was it's just it was a little weird. I really liked it. I, I wasn't used to this, but this is like two masters working on it. A very important Superman run. I don't care about the Legion. You know that. I like, I, I've learned to appreciate them because my friend appreciates them. So I won't talk shit about them anymore. I will give this a buy as you. well. It was definitely fun. It was just. Thanks for your pity review. Yeah. It was just weird. <laughs> it was a little weird. That's all I'm saying. It's not weird. It's not weird. It's like. It's it basically at this point in time, Superman is a new character. Yeah, that's and what he's I guess, being faced with this old baggage that he should be connected to, but isn't. Right, and that's what I guess that's what's weird to me is the, the fact that I didn't live through this. So going back and reading it, it's jarring. <laughs> it's very jarring. I mean, I guess that's fair. Okay. Speaking of Superman, my review is of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, number one hundred and sixty-three from DC. The year was 1970, and Jack Kirby had just come aboard. The Newsboy Legion is a group of orphans living on the streets of Suicide Slum, selling newspapers to make a living. They were also frequently in trouble with the law, although local policeman Jim Harper had a soft spot for them. And in their first appearance, Harper, shortly after becoming the Guardian, also becomes their dad. (laughs) Now, they had no idea that the Guardian was their dad, but there was a reoccurring theme that ran in the stories where the boys were pretty sure that Harper might be the Guardian. (laughs) Your members were Tommy Tompkins, he was a leader, Big Words, the team genius, Gabby, an excitable kid who never stopped talking, and Scrapper. Copulating. He never stopped copulating. (laughs) And Scrapper, who was the tough guy. The Newsboy Legion were reintroduced in Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen 133, here as part of Jack Kirby's fourth world story arc. This Legion are the sons of the originals who came out of Star Spangled Comics, who are now working their fathers. (laughs) who are still the same guys and are still all buddies are now working at a government genetics project. And the younger boys have a new friend. They all have the same nicknames, but they have wait now. When does that genetic stuff come into play? Is that during Kirby's run? Yes. Their their dads are all working there. They have a a wild bit of trivia to drop on you later. Okay. And they have a new friend, Flipper Dipper or Flippa Dippa Johnson they Jr. They can't keep it straight. He's an African-American boy. No, his name is Flipper Dipper, but they call him Flippa Dippa. Flippa Dippa. Yes. Because they're from the streets. And Flipper Dipper is famous for wearing a full-on wetsuit, goggles, He's a frogman. snorkel, and fins everywhere. I'm not talking just when they're swimming. I mean, 
nope. all the goddamn time. Just around the clubhouse, into the forest, Here, driving in the car. Exactly. Here, Jimmy visits the Newsboy Legion to check out the Miracle Car, it's called, right? It's called the Whiz Wagon. The Whiz Wagon, which is going to take them to- <laughs> The Miracle Car? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Where did that come from? I don't know. I cut off my, I think I erased some of my notes. The Whiz Wagon is it's going- It's called the Whiz Wagon. Going to take them to the Wild Zone, where they're going The to, Wild Area. <laughs> where they're going to meet several characters from- Are you yeah, sure you read this comic? Yeah, I just absolutely, I accidentally erased some of my notes, and I'm noticing that now. Yeah. Yeah, it's called the Wild Area. And it is this like weird overgrown habitat, yes. uh, forested city, like unclear where, like right outside Metropolis I, in Metropolis. Well, I don't know. I don't know. It may be there or it may be otherworldly, like infringing on our dimension. No, no, it's of? definitely on Earth. Okay. <laughs> it was totally bizarre. This was Kirby's yeah. first issue of Jimmy Olsen and the launch of his fourth world, which this new version of the Newsboy Legion would play a very major role. The kids talk a little like little Jack Kirby's for the most part. And yeah, like even Jimmy, have like scrappers, like a little Jimmy Cagney. Kind yeah. Of kid. They even have yeah. strangely adult faces, but the sheer weirdness and creativity on display here just cannot be denied. The Newsboy Legion is probably the weirdest kid group in all comic history and could only be created by the mind of Jack Kirby. In 22 pages here of this comic, Kirby introduces more bizarre ideas than most other creators do in an entire run. And I'm talking, you think what's yeah. going on in Hickman's X-Men is weird? You have no clue what Kirby did in this shit. This is an oh, yeah, absolute yeah, yeah. buy it. It, it, it's a comic book that was not selling well at the time and they handed it to Kirby and said, do whatever you want. Yeah. Take it over. Yeah. Yeah. Like they didn't, they didn't want to give Kirby one of the main Superman books. They were afraid to do it basically. And they in were, fact, like if you look at this issue, you'll notice Superman's face looks different than all of the other characters. Yep. Cause they read his because face. They they had a, a house artist redraw all of Kirby's Superman faces to look more like Kurt Swan. And that's one of those things like we we read that Kirby uh trade paperback, not trade paperback, but yeah. graphic novel that the Tom Scioli did. Right. Which was loosely, you know, it, obviously it's not completely historically correct, but Scioli did his homework and you can see reading this going. No, back, that shit is factual. Yeah. yeah. That's 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 a fact. That, it is happened. crazy. Like it, yeah. He poured everything he had into this first issue and was just like, get ready because it's going to get fucking weird, man. <laughs> and it did. Like, and it's so good. Can, like, can, you, can you imagine? Like, even in 1970, Jack yeah. Kirby had been a major driving force in comics for 30 years. Wasn't it Kurt Swan that redrew the DC faces? I don't think Kurt Swan actually did the work, but they drew it to look like Kurt Swan because okay. that was the house. That was like our Superman looks like Kurt Swan. That's probably what I'm confusing, but they definitely, they yeah. redrew Superman's face, which is they just did. Yeah, insane. For sure. Insane. Like, I, like, I just, I can't like to, to Jack of all artists to do that to Jack Kirby is yeah. wild. The guy that me. created the fucking fantastic four, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. come on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, this, uh, this book is crazy. Uh, it, it is so chock full of ideas. Uh, the, I like just the thought that Kirby 
however many decades after World War II was like, oh, you know what? The Newsboy Legion are definitely relevant in today's society. Well, but we read about that. Like, he was obsessed with kid gangs and shit. He loved that stuff. And I, like, Um, I do too. I'm obsessed with gangs. (laughs) I think they're the best. And and he had, like, like, I totally, like, they were, this book, other, like, aside from the redrawn faces, this book is breathtaking. Like yeah. there, are, there are elaborate two page spreads in this book. I didn't even know that they were doing that kind of shit back then. When they first show that and, spread with the whiz wagon, just like the yes, car itself, right. it is intensely detailed. Crazy. Right. Like, and yeah, I would kill, I would kill, literally kill for those two pages of original art. Like they said, Matt, and like I, kill your mom. I'd be like, I'm sorry, mom. I love you. And I'll, I'd cry. I would. I'd be it's upset. It's for the greater good, mom. It's for the greater good. <laughs> but if I get uh, those pages, fuck you, mom. <laughs> but like, uh, like, um, uh, shit, I lost my train of thought. Um, I lost your train of thought too. Yeah. Uh, like this, this is the, this is kind of a, the start of a, a, a a long burn for Kirby. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it sets up all this inner gang stuff. It takes place, um, kind of after Clark and Jimmy transitioned away from being uh, daily planet reporters to being like uh, TV reporters. Yeah. Which is weird. Well, they were trying to modernize uh, everything. They were like, no, they're not, yeah, they don't right. work for newspapers anymore. They're for TV. Kids love TV. You know, that's where it's at yeah, now. Yeah. 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 No, kids love TV. Um, but like, <laughs> so, my weird bit of trivia is that post-crisis, after Superman relaunches, they brought Guardian back, Superman Annual 2, The Return of the Guardian, yep. Jim Harper. And they're like, oh, yeah, no, he's a clone. He's a clone of the original Guardian. It's, it's like Project Cadmus and the whole bit. That's where this c- kind of comes Wasn't out Wasn't it of. like their dads that recreated Jim Harper? Uh, so, uh, 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 yes. Which is um, weird. <laughs> what, what they reveal... What they reveal is that, uh, so I'm sh- like Kirby probably created Project Cadmus, but uh, this was like them bringing back Project Cadmus in a big way. So what they reveal is that the original Newsboy Legion all grew up to be scientists. Right. Of course. They all work together at the same weird genetic think tank. They're friends, Joe. That's what friends do. Okay. They cloned their buddy, the Guardian. That is also what friends do. And Not then- their buddy. Their legal guardian, the guardian. <laughs> well, I don't know if he was still their legal guardian at the time. No, but he but was at one they point. Also, he became their dad. <laughs> but at one, but they also cloned themselves. Oh God! And so they introduce again, very much in the same vein as this issue, a younger version of the Newsboy Legion that oh. runs around and gets into adventures. Oh boy! But they are clones of the original Newsboy Legion. Can you imagine not if this happened sons. to the, if this happened to the Yancey Street Gang? <laughs> like, those poor bastards! They never got any of this coverage. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. This is a buy it from me. Uh, it's it's so full of energy and ideas and yeah. like yeah. I if you have not read this. Go and pick up the DC hardcover Jack Kirby Fourth World and just just let it wash over you. It is the most bizarre shit in the world, but it is literally Kirby's brain exploding on the page with no editorial whatsoever. They just said, you write it, we're printing it. And oh my God, it is some of the most fun, creative, and absolutely bizarre comic books you'll ever read in your life. It's just a riot. Too much fun. Oh, yeah. No, I loved it. Oh, what's up, Patreon viewers? This is Joe Patrick After Dark. <laughs> feeling uh, 
oh, a wow. lot more relaxed. Oh, wow. Get, get up on the mic. Get, leaning get up, in, you get, know. Yeah, get a little breath. I'm just like yeah. getting cozy with it. You oh, know? I hear you. Yeah. Yeah, happy Hanukkah. Oh, yeah. Happy Hanukkah, yeah. Uh, my next review is of New Warriors number one from Marvel Comics. 1990 was the year. If that doesn't kill your boner, I don't know what will. Hey, no. <laughs> you want to talk about unsexy? Let's talk about the New Warriors. <laughs> I don't know, man. They got pretty sexy. Get out of here. Are you kidding me? Namorita no, ev- and her full fucking did, yeah. onesie? <laughs> like, whatever. No, no. They got sexy. My first exposure to the New Warriors was in a preview of this issue in a copy of Marvel Age. For those that don't know, the comic book industry used to be healthy enough that they could publish entirely separate publications meant only to advertise their books. Yeah. And fans would actually pay for them. Well, because it was a kind of thing where it's like you go to the drugstore and there's a spinner rack and there's a bunch of comics up there and shit. And then you go to another drugstore and with a different spinner rack that doesn't have some of that stuff, but they might order Marvel Age. And Marvel Age is going to have ads for that shit that they might not have. And so kids like me are going to read it and be like, what the fuck is this Alpha Flight shit? I need this. I mean, I guess. Oh yeah. my God, there's a Bigfoot on the team? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then I'd be like, I need to speak to the manager of Osco Drug. And they'd be like, who are you? And be like, we need to talk about your comic section. Okay. And I got real <laughs> serious about it. <laughs> now, this is not the team's actual first appearance, but it is their origin as conceived by writer Fabian Nicieza and artist Mark Bagley. The mysterious Night Thrasher gathers together a team of forgotten teen heroes, Nova, Marvel Boy, and Firestar to join his crusade against crime that isn't at all directly cribbed from Batman comics. No, what are you talking about? No way. Get out of here. Not even a little bit. Nope, no. Batman is a writer skateboard. It's completely different, okay? (laughs) To To their credit, Fabian Nicieza started seeding hints about his true origin from almost the very start. It's just not very apparent in this issue. Once they are in action against a reborn Terax the Tamer, they're joined by Namor's cousin, Namorita, and my personal favorite, Speedball, the masked Marvel, now reborn as a mullet-sporting disaffected youth. I will never forget that first appearance of Speedball we reviewed. That was... That was something. (laughs) I'll say that. (laughs) Uh, As dated as it can seem at times, Fabian Nicieza had an excellent knack for dialogue and the dynamic of this particular group of characters. Uh, Right from the start, the Warriors tackled mature themes like growing up, uh, the environment, like being manipulated by adults, gang violence, and more. All of the hot button issues of the 90s. Mark Bagley was just a few years into his career at this point. And while we are usually used to seeing his work with slick inks uh, rather than the rougher line of veteran inker Al Williamson, uh, Bagley's art, I think, still shines here. Uh, Now, if you'd read the team's first appearance in Thor by Tom DeFalco and Ron Friends before this, there's no way you'd have expected them to continue. What issue of Thor was it? Because they were like... didn't notate that. Huh? What issue with Thor was that? It was like Thor 311 and 312. It was the Acts of Vengeance crossover issues. Hold on. Where Thor fights the Juggernaut. Mighty Thor 411. 411 and 412. There you go. 
but Nicieza and Bagley did the characters the service of taking them seriously, and that's what made their run on New Warriors something special. Uh, issue one gets a huge bite for me. Like I know that it can be dated. Lots of comics are dated when you go back and look at them again. Sure, absolutely. But the core is there. The core is strong, and they built something really good from this like foundation. Well, and I still love it to this day. The New Warriors was also born out of a time where you could literally print anything, and it would sell five hundred thousand copies. And so this was part of a, this was actually part of, again, thank you, Marvel age. Uh, this was part of a push that Marvel was doing in the year 1990 that included like a dozen or so new titles, including uh, like a relaunched Namor number one, yeah. Ghost Rider number one starring Danny Ketch and a bunch of other shit. Um, and new warriors was one of those books. Right. And they like, they were in the, it was just a book of its time where they relaunched all this shit. People are going to buy it because like, let's just talk about these characters. There is no one here. There is not one character, even in 1990, like a list that's going to sell anything. And the new warriors was a hit. It took off. I mean, and oddly, like oddly enough, the most current character in the book other than Night Thrasher, who was created for this concept, is Speedball. I mean, he Nova was the was newest around, character though. of the bunch. But Nova was around. No, I'm saying Speedball was the newest character okay. of the bunch. I see what you're saying. But I'm just saying, so, like, like, he was the most, like, he was the he was the only character in this book that modern that readers of the time would have probably been like, oh yeah, Speedball. No, definitely. Because, like, we think about, like, now, whenever you're putting together a team, like, if Wolverine's not on it, it's not going to fucking sell or whatever. And just the fact that they put together a team with, like, Namorita, Marvel Boy, Firestar, it's bullshit. Like, I don't think, like, I don't think I've ever actually read an appearance of Namorita's before this issue. She might But be. she's been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Since the I, 60s or 70s. I, I don't know. I, like, I went to read this just to be like, God damn it, Joe, whatever. Fine. You're going to force me to do this. And when I was done, I really, I'm not, I'm not going to say like, this is an amazing comic and everybody needs to read. I'm not going to say that at all, but I will say that this creative team poured their heart into it and did a great fucking job. And like, did I'm so, obviously coming at it from the context of having read the whole run. Yes. And I'm coming at it from the context of, this was from a different time in comics where you could do shit like this that you can't do anymore. This doesn't exist anymore. There's no way. There's just no way you could pull something like this off anymore. And for for a little bit of context about the industry at the time, um, the other day, I watched uh, a documentary on, I think, Amazon Prime called The Image Revolution. Oh, Yeah. And it was all about the formation of Image Comics in 1991. And it's fucking great. But they get to a point where it gets to the comic book bust in 93 or 94 or whatever. And they are telling this story about the panic that they felt when the first Image Comics, the first Image comic book came out that sold less than 300,000 copies. <laughs> And then after, uh, I think Rob Liefeld's the one that says that. And then right after that bit of dialogue, there is a caption box underneath that says, 
only seven comic books have sold more than 300,000 copies <laughs> since 1990, whatever. It's the truth. Now it's like if you sell yeah. more than 5,000, you're in the top 50, you know? <laughs> it's crazy. Actually, you're probably in the top 20 anymore. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it, it's crazy. I, I, I'm giving this a buy it because I, I do feel like to just to put a, t- a book out like this, with these characters takes massive balls and they wrote it with care. Nicesia is one of those guys from the nineties that really did a great job and really thought this stuff out and wrote some great comics. No doubt. Ton of bullshit in the nineties. We've, we talked about this at length, but there are books that people cared about and did a really good job on. And quite honestly, new warriors is one of them. It, it absolutely is. And yeah, as much as it pains me to say it, this is a buy it. And this is a book that could not exist today. It's just one of those things. It's lost to time, if you will. Like, but it, it was like a huge hit. It was. It's it just, it's and a, I think that it, like, I think that if you were to keep reading it, just with the, just with that thought in the back of your head that like, oh yeah, the slang's going to be dated. Sure. Uh, Speedball's going to show up in one, um, in his civilian identity in one issue wearing a loose tank top that says Jesus Jones on it. <laughs> I happened. love Jesus Jones, dude. <laughs> yeah. They were cutting um, edge. But like right here, right sure. now. That's always a hit. Come on. Sure. Right. <laughs> but like, uh, I was inspired to like keep reading it after I read this and I read a bunch of them today during, uh, while everybody else was making cookies and Matt and I were, you know, prepping pre-gaming for the show. Uh, and I got up to like issue six or seven issue seven is the one that we talked about with JD got a catch a couple weeks ago on cover to cover where the Bengal shows up to kill that preacher for murdering a bunch of people in Vietnam. Yeah. Like, Ni- like yeah, like this is some heavy shit. Nicesia took this really serious and did some stuff in this book that wasn't happening. Like in the X-Men even like really yeah. challenged some stuff. It, it, it's, and, and it's he, way more and impressive still, like, than I thought it was going to be. I'll say that. And like, if you know, if you know what you're looking for and you might not, if you've never read it before, but as somebody that, that knows what they're looking for, like almost from issue one, he is like planting seeds to subvert like the cheesy origins of these characters where it's like, he's setting up that, he's setting up that subplot with the return of the, uh, the return of the Sphinx and that alternate reality that I reviewed that one, uh, month on Cosmic Longbox. Oh boy. Um, he sets up this confrontation. He's uh, planting the seeds for this confrontation between um, the warriors and and uh, the White Queen, because that's where Firestar had come from. She'd co- she'd come from the Massachusetts Academy. Uh, like she was almost a hellion. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, "Nah, it's not for me." And she just went back home to live her life. Um, like he's planting all these seeds that don't come to fruition for like up to a year later. And it becomes so much better than what the characters started as. Yeah. I just think that if you read this issue, it's got so much potential in it. It's, it's hard not to like it. I'm just going to say it. Fabian Nicesia deserves more respect. That dude deserves one of my favorite writers of the nineties. Yeah. No doubt. Way more respect. No, no doubt. What out? No doubt. What out? You heard it here. No doubt. What out? I don't know what that second <laughs> thing either. meant, but I, I said either. <laughs> but it should be on t-shirts real soon here. My next review is of Power Pack number 27. Sadate. This is from 1986. 
Your creative team, it was written by Power Pack creator Louise Simonson with art by John Bogdanov. Alex, Julie, Jack, and Katie Power were the children of Dr. James and Margaret Power, who created an antimatter engine that attracted the attention of a horse-headed alien named Alefire. He was a chimillion whose planet was destroyed by the same antimatter engine that the power parents created. Alefire passes his alien power to the children, splitting it amongst them evenly. So it's very Green Lantern meets Star Trek First Contact, more or less. It's kind of more of a Captain Planet sort of thing where they each have like a portion. Yeah, exactly. Flash forward to issue 27 and picture a young Matt Baum holding up an issue of a comic book he never cared about, but this one had Sabretooth on the cover, and it was part of the Mutant Massacre checklist, so he had to plop down his four quarters to read it. This it, it, was, it was foretold. This was the first time that I remember being sucked into a tie-in issue, and it would not be the last. Simonson was not afraid at all to drop this plucky group of kids right into the middle of the mutant massacre, which featured the death of hundreds of Morlocks in the New York sewer tunnels at the hands of the Marauders. I'm I'm looking at a panel right now where the kids show up and like, there's just dead bodies. They everywhere. are walking through a sea of corpses. <laughs> yeah, like Franklin Richards is along for the ride here too. I can't quite remember why, other than he's a kid with powers. The scene where the kids fight Sabretooth has some weird dialogue. They are showing up and one of them says, well, if anything happens, don't worry, I'll blow them away. And Sabretooth leaps down from the ceiling and says, yeah, pup, so start blowing. <laughs> Which, yeah, baby. problematic at best, but the script isn't as bad as I remember at all. Simonson does like a really good job of writing these kids without making them sound like members of the animated Burger King Kids Club or anything. While I don't love Bogdanum's art, it's also way better than I remember. For a tie-in to the Mutant Massacre, you definitely get your money's worth. Wolverine is here. X-Factor shows up. And that was more than enough for me as a young X fan. I am giving this a buy it. Like, I remember this was the only issue of Power Pack that I owned because Sabretooth was on the cover and I had to have it. And I thought Power Pack was a huge joke. But going back and reading this, it was pretty damn good. Like, this was not yeah. a kid's comic. So I have to confess, I, I, I thought I'd read this, but I didn't get around to it this week. I did read it years ago. Thank you for being uh, honest, But I Joe did Patrick. not read it currently, so Thanks I for can't fairly review it in current context. Because when we review, I don't fake it. I would never fake it with you. I, I hear you. I, I feel I, what I feel, Joe. Okay, great. Um, but I'm looking at it now. Like I love John Bogdanov. It, his art is so weird and stylized. It is he does these, like, super weird. He's got crazy like anatomy, which I enjoy. Um, Bogdanov would go on to like he drew this book for a while. Yeah. But then he would go on uh, to draw uh, what would have been at the time, I believe the uh superman action the third ongoing superman title superman the man of steel also written by louis simonson and that book has the distinction of being the first appearance of steel 
And uh, so that's kind of where I got my start with Bogdanov. Also um, drew Punisher War Journal. All fun. And worked at Malibu. Oh. There you go. Uh, but yeah, no, I like what a fun artifact this is. I, I did not read it uh, uh, this week, but um, yeah, I do love it. Uh, and, you know, take that for what it's worth. He drew the Steel miniseries as well in 1994. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Can we pause? Yeah. You gonna vomit? Next up for me is Generation X number one from Marvel, the year 1994. Spinning out of the Phalanx Covenant crossover. Oh, the Phalanx Generation Covenant. Generation X was... <laughs> Phalanx Covenant. Oh, man. Generation X was Marvel's attempt at recapturing the school for gifted youngsters concept that new mutants had graduated out of when the kids became X-Force. The team features uh, former X-Man Jubilee alongside mostly new students with headmasters Sean Banshee Cassidy and Emma Frost. 90s ex-mastermind Scott Lobdell presents a pretty likable and interesting group featuring mind-blowing art by mainstream newcomer Chris Bacalo. I was not a Vertigo reader back then, uh, and that's where Bacalo got his start. So I had never seen anything like this when it hit the stands. Disaster strikes at the airport when a mutant energy vampire attacks the newest student, Spoilers, it's Chamber, who would have a long storied history with the X-Men. And the team arrives to drive him away in the nick of time. Uh, The story is layered with mystery, like all of the great X sagas of the time. And I was just hooked from the start. It's got a compelling story, incredible art, bizarre new characters. What is not to love? I'm giving Generation X number one a buy it. Yeah, I, man, this series... As much as I love New Mutants, I love Generation X because it just hit at the right time. I was a huge fan of Chris Bacalo already and the stuff that he'd done in Vertigo. I knew exactly who he was. And when I heard he was going to get a chance to do superhero comics, I was a little worried. And when he came in, it was just as wild and as weird as you knew it was going to be. And I loved all the new characters, Skin, Mondo, Sync. Like, I loved these characters. And today, we constantly talk about the new groups of mutants they keep bringing in that are forgotten. And unfortunately, for the most part, a lot of these were. Monet is still around. Um, Other than that, God, I can't really think of any, I mean, any of the other ones. I think they're all still around to some degree. Uh, M is really the only one that's like featured anymore. We don't even, we rarely see Husk or Skin. I think Skin died. I don't think Skin is back. But this book, Chamber, the way that Chris Bacalo draws Chamber is just amazing. Like his power is exploding out of his body and literally destroying his body. And this book was incredible. And it was a darker side of mutants that we hadn't really seen. This was really the first time they kind of, uh, other than the Morlocks, obviously, this is the first time they really introduced that there are mutants whose power is not pretty and, can, ugly, yeah. and can be detrimental even to them as a person, which was really, really cool. And even the bad well, guys. And he, like, even with stuff like, ooh, Nightcrawler looks like a demon. Cyclops can't control his eye blasts. They're still fucking cool. Right. You know, they look cool. And they're still super sexy and they've got super sexy girlfriends. Chamber looks like a walking nightmare. Yeah. 
I mean, absolutely. And like we first meet Gateway here and stuff. Or not first, but Gateway is back because he, I'm sorry, he's a relative of, I can't remember who it is. They reveal that he, uh, he is, he has a past with M. That's right. Okay. Uh, they would later, they would much, much later reveal that um, the X-Men character or the um, Avengers character Manifold from, um, I think, Secret Warriors and then later Hickman's Avengers. Yeah, like nephew or grandson? Is like the son of Gateway. Something like that. Yeah. Son or grandson of Gateway. This this was such a fun and like wild and wooly time for the X-Men. And God, I love this book so much. It is a massive buy it. And it was just a treat to revisit it. It still totally holds up, by the way. Completely holds I 100% up. agree. So good. Next up for me. Well, it, had, it had to go downhill at some point. <laughs> it certainly did. Speaking of the 90s, next up for me is Gen 13, number one from Image 1995, written by Brandon Choi with art by J. Scott Campbell. This is the second number one for Gen 13 and the beginning of a run that would last 80 issues, featuring a group of teens that would turn out to be the sons and daughters of Wildstorm's Team 7. The team was... Three girls, Fairchild, an invulnerable, superhumanly strong genius, Roxy, a ditzy short brunette with anti-gravity powers, and Rainmaker, a Native American with weather powers, go figure, and two guys, Grunge, a stoner that can control his molecular structure, and Threshold, who fires control. No, Burnout. Well, here he's called Threshold, I think. No, his name is Burnout. Threshold is a different character. Oh, you're right. And Burnout, who fires controlled plasma blasts. The story was basically the human torch. Yeah. The story was very boilerplate superhero stuff, very X-Men influence, complete with an older mentor named Lynch who had impossibly long flowing sideburns. Luscious. <laughs> Luscious. So bizarre. Choi writes the book like a nerd who heard cool kids talking about their weekend in the 90s, but the real star here is J. Scott Campbell on the art. Campbell never missed a chance to draw his beyond waif model female characters with size zero waists and double D breasts completely naked. Keep in mind, these are kids. They are not 18-year-olds. These are 14 to 16-year-old kids, and he is drawing them completely nude with their naughty I mean, parts. They read hitting, as a little bit older than that to me, but I would say 16 to 17 tops. He was drawing sure. them completely nude, hidden only by say a house plant or a nervous French sure. maid waving their hands. I'm not going to say I didn't like this series, but everything that was good about gen 13 took place after Choi and Campbell left creators like John Arcudi, Scott Lobdell, made wrote this into a very very good series but even then the comic was so sexually charged full of under boob under butt and panty shots that it is embarrassing to read today this does not hold up i totally understand now why people complained about j scott campbell's art back in the day this was porn for kids 
that were afraid to buy porn. <laughs> I'm giving this a leave it. There is yeah. nothing here. There's nothing here. It was rip off X-Men bullshit without any of the good history and without anything compelling other than the fact that like, oh man, I can almost see her boobs. Oh man, I can almost see her butt. <laughs> you know? It was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so these, uh, these early issues are rough. Um, I like J Scott Campbell. He's an artist. Like I appreciate why people like him. I get it. Um, but if you look at his work, especially from this era, from this issue, it's on a technical level, terrible. Can we talk? Okay. So uh, the, let's talk about the best stuff that J Scott Campbell has done. For a moment. And I would argue, you know, so like, like if you look at danger, danger, Girl. yeah, danger girl, you know, whatever the, like the stuff, he, like the Spider-Man covers he went on to do, like he, he grew as an artist for sure, he but he never grew artist. out of this cheesecake kind of. That's mold. what I'm saying. Even then, even at the height of his power, I would argue, st- and, and not even the cheesecake, whatever. There's guys who do cheesecake and that's their full-time job and they're amazing artists. I don't think he's that good. I really don't. Yeah. When you when everyone you draw has legs that look like they're six feet long, I mean th- that just doesn't even make sense. It's bizarre. Right, yeah, his the way that he draws the human form, and it's not just like she's impossibly skinny. Like these girls look like they're nineteen feet tall. It's fucking crazy the way that he draws them. Like I'm not gonna say that this is like I'm giving this a leave it as well, but I am going to be a little bit more generous about it, saying that like it is definitely a product of a specific era and a specific company's aesthetic, the I, image era. I don't disagree, but I think there and, was also you know, stuff. Like people, people, people were drawn to it. There's a reason why it was a success. But look at Jim Lee's Wildcats and shit like that. I mean, yeah, but Jim Lee was always Jim Lee. I agree. But, and that you know, was rough as well. The, like the first 12, 15 issues of Wildcats, they're, they're garbage, man. They're just really pretty to look at because Jim Lee was drawing it. But like this, there was. This because they placed style over substance. Yes. There's no there there and, and, is what I'm saying. There's no there there. Right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, uh, like. I guess like credit, you can give credit to Savage Dragon, Eric Larson, because he had a clear vision for his character. Yes. He did his own thing and he was good at it. And it was what it was. Whether you liked it or not was a different thing. It was exactly what it was. And and, and there you Uh, go. And it stayed that way. And you know what? I'll do the same for Todd McFarlane. Spawn was what it was. We go, we look back at it and we laugh at it a little bit, but- you can see Todd McFarlane working and you can see his style and he was all style. This was just well, vapid. And, but then, like, but then this is a stroke. Guys, but like even Todd McFarlane for all the shit we talked about him a couple weeks ago, like before the first year was out or at, let me rephrase. Cause I don't remember. I don't know how late the books were, but, but by the time the, by the time Spawn got to like issues nine and ten, taking off the safety guns, he had guys. He had guys like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman writing issues, right? You know, so like, kudos. But this, this is just like it's all flash. Yeah, it's garbage. This is garbage. Um, it, it's 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 not it's not good. It, it's it, it wasn't even fun to read in like a oh how quaint. No, it, this was just I, garbage. I, like, I was just like. Ugh. 
And like there was all this weird kind of chemistry between Fairchild and Lynch. And Lynch is supposed to be what, 50 something? And Fairchild is maybe oh, 17. Hey, yeah, hey, like so, Professor X, Gene Gray, baby. That's ew. how they did it back then. <laughs> it's just creepy. I, I want to stop talking about this. Let's move on. Come on. <laughs> all right. Next up for me, Teen Titans number one from DC Comics 1996. Randy Andrews is rolling her in his grave right now. And the uh, man's yeah, not he's even He's going to be so pissed. Not even dead and he's rolling in his grave. <laughs> Long before Jeff Johns would rejuvenate the concept, Dan Jurgens and George Perez rebooted the Teen Titans in a way that had nothing to do with the original teams. Uh, you won't find Cyborg, Beast Boy, or Nightwing here. Uh, instead, we have an entirely new group of teens who have nothing to do with one another, except for the fact that they had been secretly experimented on by a sinister alien race for purposes as yet unknown. Uh, a de-aged Ray Palmer. It's a long story. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> I looked into it here. as a matter of fact. It was just like, because I had no idea. And when this yes. hit me, it was just like, what is happening? <laughs> and I went back and read it uh, and was just like, seriously? <laughs> Ray Ray Palmer came out of the zero hour crossover reduced in age to 18. (laughs) Just, just why they're trying to make him like, Oh man, the kids don't love the Adam. Uh, You know, I don't like, well, what Uh, if we put him on a skateboard (laughs) or something? (laughs) Uh, But he is here to get that hot Adam name recognition. I guess. (laughs) Uh, Let's get one thing out of the way right off the bat. Uh, Dan Jurgens writes terrible. Terrible teenage dialogue. Oh my god! This was even for the nineties. Yeah this this was this was as bad as like the people that were writing Luke Cage. Like, how do black people talk? I don't know. They probably say stuff like "Sweet Christmas" and "Shut up, jive turkey." <laughs> yeah, right. This was that level. <laughs> now that said, I did really enjoy the concept. Uh, these kids are develop. Uh, these kids are developing terrifying abilities. They're thrown together by fate. And while his art isn't everyone's cup of tea, I personally am a fan of Jurgens, and his art looks great, inked by the legendary George Perez. Like, Absolutely. I can't believe they're like, George Perez, ink this book. Don't draw it. Well, ink you, it. this was Jurgens, who is a good friend of Perez, and said, come do this with me. That's what happened. Well, maybe. Guaranteed. Out of all my picks this week, this one probably aged the worst. <laughs> Uh, but I'm still, I still enjoyed myself despite the rough dialogue. I'm giving Teen Titans number one a skim it. I understand that it's not going to be to everyone's liking. Matt Bomb is about to trash it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like I, I, as a concept, I don't hate this. At okay. All. So I want to take you back in time to a little series called Thunderbolts that you loved. You absolutely loved. And I didn't pay a lot of attention I to it. I, I, it. It was what it was. And I read it later on. Completely loved it. But there was a time where Thunderbolts was not selling very well. And they brought in Warren Ellis and said, we're going to do something completely different. Just com- completely different. It's going to be like a, a, a supervillain fight club type book starring the armadillo oh, that was Warren Ellis that was before Warren Ellis who was it John Arcudi maybe I think it was John Arcudi look it up while I'm talking about it I think you're right though I think it was John Arcudi and I loved it because it was just like a complete departure from the book 
And this felt like something similar to that because there was nothing Teen Titans about it. This was a complete departure from Teen Titans. And so much so that I have a feeling it was supposed to be called something else. And they said, we're not doing anything with Teen Titans right now. George Perez is going to work on it with you. Why don't we just call it Teen Titans? And they went, yeah, fuck it. All right. This was garbage. This was complete. It's not garbage. Garbage. The art is very pretty. It looks very nice. But this story is totally bizarre. It stars a bunch of no ones. I forgot this was even a thing. Like, I, it, I had to look at a few issues, and I recognized them from quarter bins, like, growing up. Nobody celebrates this series. And I, I'm giving it a leave it because it was just an experiment that didn't work with very good art. I will say that. Dan Jurgens and George Perez look amazing together. I cared nothing about the characters. I cared nothing about this ridiculous story about teenagers that, like, were experimented on. How many times we read that shit? They, the goal to call this a Teen Titans book. <laughs> and I get it. They weren't doing anything with the Titans at the time, but this did nothing for me. I'm giving them leave it. I mean, I think you have to remember the context. Like, Teen Titans wasn't really, like, anymore. The bloom was off the rose for Teen Titans. Oh, no, I totally agree. But it's just such a weird, I don't know. To go with this title for fan, because there were people that were Teen Titans fans. Absolutely. And they didn't name this book Teen Titans because they didn't think there was name recognition. They did it exactly for that, hoping that people would pick it up and check it out and give it a chance and see like, oh, George Perez's name on is on there. Absolutely. George Perez, Teen Titans. I'm buying that. And if you're a Teen Titans fan and you bought this, how do you feel? Be honest. How do you feel? I mean, I liked it at the time, so I don't know what you're <laughs> I'm just about. saying, like, as a guy that was not a Teen Titans fan, that has only reviewed Teen Titans books for this comic book podcast, and learned to understand where the fandom came from, if I picked this up as a Teen Titans fan, I was pissed. I would be super pissed and say, fuck <laughs> you, DC. I know the Teen Titans. This is no Teen Titans. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Leave it. My goodness. My next review is Young Avengers number one from Marvel 2005. This was written by Alan Heinberg with art by Jimmy Chung. Now, back in 2005, a young, arps, a young upstart writer by the name of Brian Michael Bendis had just broken up the Avengers in a storyline that Joe Patrick would never forgive him for called Avengers Disassembled. Not long after. Still salty about it. Alan Heinberg, a TV writer for the Fox California teen drama, The O.C., would be announced writing this comic. And I remember the jokes when this was announced. I also remember how quickly this comic sold out on the stands when word got out on how fun and great the story was. Out of nowhere, a group of young heroes that vaguely look like the Avengers show up calling themselves Patriot. Hulkling, Iron Lad, and his Guardian. We knew nothing about them, and Heinberg wrote a genius script using J. Jonah Jameson, Cat Farrell, and private investigator Jessica Jones to trying to learn more about the team. The first 15 pages of this book 
is literally a conversation between those three, and it's riveting. This comic left you wanting yeah. to know more about the team in every way and set up the future, including the introduction of Kate Bishop. Also, it's possibly one of the best last page reveals I've ever read. It's such, I forgot that they dropped this in the very first issue of Young Avengers, and I'm not going to spoil it. I want you to pick this up and read it because the last page is incredible. Jimmy Chung is just an amazing artist and had done fantastic work before this book, but I feel like this was his coming out as a superstar. Heinberg would not write enough of this team, and they would pop up here and there, but Young Avengers would never go on to enjoy a long comic run. Based on what we've seen about the upcoming Hawkeye show and the current slate of MCU Avengers retiring, it would not surprise me at all to see the Young Avengers making their comeback in a major way in the MCU based on this storyline. This is such a wonderful run of comics, and it completely holds up. It is so perfectly executed. This is one of the best first issues of a group of unknown heroes that I think is out there, quite honestly. And I cannot give this a bigger buy it. I treasure this run of Young Avengers. And I'm going to, I'll put my money on the table right now. Marvel is building towards a Young Avengers movie and it is going to be loosely based off this run. They absolutely are. And if they're not, they're fucking up because this shit is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. You're right. It, it holds up 100%, and I love it to this day. And I also agree with you that while Jim Chung had been around for years before this, I think this was his first, like, oh, shit. Yeah. Jim Chung. This just, like, um, I just page even the the talking head pages are beautiful right. just incredible right. art they are yeah uh the reveals are huge the characters are compelling um i love the young avengers i love what they have become i i love how the characters have grown and developed over the years but realistically um, how many of them are we dealing with right now i mean like hulkling and asgardian are still around like they they were well, his name is wiccan now but yeah, yeah. wiccan so hulkling and wiccan kate bishop obviously kate bishop um but, cassie lang is still around but patriot uh, is gone not, I mean, like he's nowhere to be found. Patriot, I think, like he show he has shown up, but I don't think he is active as a superhero. Um, uh, Iron, the only one that's like completely absent Iron to my Lad. knowledge is Iron Lad, gone. Which um, makes sense when you see the reveal. <laughs> which yes, I will never forget. Like coming into the comic shop and we picked that up and read it, and we're just like, oh shit. Well, and you know what? That is a Thunderbolts number one lat level last page reveal. Yeah, absolutely. Where it's like, holy crap. We're, we're I can't just believe like, they're doing that. And, and you're like, this is what they're going to have to deal with. I yeah. love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, so it's, it's so, so good. Uh, yeah, it's a huge buy it for me. And, you know, I like, if this is if this is the future of the MCU, sign me up. I am absolutely. All about it. Well, this is the kind of thing they could do. I'm trying not. To, I'm trying not to spoil things for a book that is 
15 years old. Yeah, 15 years old. But like we know a major bad guy from this series is going to appear in Ant-Man. We know that we're we're meeting Kate Bishop, we're meeting Cassie Lang, like they're sowing these seeds. And we also know that a lot of the actors that are in the Avengers movies are just getting older and they're not going to be able to be around for these movies. So by all means, give me a young Avengers book based on this. I am 100% in and I can't wait. Oh my God. (laughs) I can't wait. And by the way, Alan Heinberg still alive. Get him to write it. Script by Alan Heinberg. I'm down. Okay. Go watch the OC. <laughs> it's still a great show. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I I'm love the stop OC. You there before you I, embarrass yourself. I loved it. The OC was great. So Joe Patrick, which book wins? What was your favorite kitty book you read in this pod? You know, you know, I, I gushed about Superman. I gushed about new warriors uh, and they are both. I stand by it. Um, Young Avengers is great. You can't fight it. Um, but for me, I'm giving my pick to Generation X just because really? it was so new. It was such a new breath of fresh air with these new characters, a new setting, new teachers, new villains, an artist that uh, was blowing my mind on a monthly basis. Yeah. Like Generation X, man, like I, I read that again. This week, and I was just like, God damn, yeah, this book is amazing. I love it's amazing. I love Generation X, I absolutely do. But I, mine's got to go to Young Avengers. Just rereading that Young Avengers number one, it reminded me how much I love that series and a series that was so short lived as well. Like, really, like it was 12 issues and gone, and then they popped back up and then gone. And I, I sincerely hope this is the future of the cinematic Marvel universe. I really do. I can't say enough about Young Avengers. Queep! That does it for reviews this week, and queep! It's the sound a green alien mouse makes that's hiding in Roxy's lap while she's showing off her panties. That's not what's happening. Yes, that's exactly what... He's in her jacket. No, he is no, on he's her, in her jacket. He's on her thigh, and she is spread legged on the floor, showing off her panties. You want me he to show you the panties? out of her jacket. He's not hiding up her skirt. No, I'm not saying he's hiding up her skirt. He's on her thigh, <laughs> and she is. <laughs> yes, yes. As seen in the pages of Gen 13, Volume Two, Number One. Uh, this onomatopoeia of the week came from the deviant mind of Matt Baum. If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week. Post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Better yet, call us and make your own damn queeps and uh, tell us where it came from and we'll play it on the show. Excelsior! (laughs) That is it for your annual Hanukkah drunk show, THN number 601. Happy holidays, y'all. Next week, we are back to reviewing new comics. Oh, no, you're right. Again, you don't know what we're doing next week. Next week, we will be hosting the annual Golden Beppo Awards, where we give out our best of 2020. And let me tell you, I needed comics in 2020. Because 2020 was a real pile of crap. <laughs> and, y- and yet, at the same time, we only read about 50% of 
of the comics from this year that we normally would have. I suppose that's probably true. I think you're right because we, <laughs> well, there was also COVID that interrupted a lot of that. Whatever. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, for those of you that haven't noticed, we're missing a few key moments. There's no Sanctum Sanctorum. I didn't set up a question of the week. That's because we recorded this in the past. We traveled back in time, Iron Lad style, and recorded this during our annual Cookie Fest celebration. To kill our future uh, selves, so that- we've been warring with forever. Oh, my God. Yes, it's I true. wear this giant um, hat. I'm a total asshole. <laughs> Uh, so as you as you hear this, it will be the week before the Golden Beppos, and we have no idea what will happen between now and then. It's going to be crazy. Uh, but, you know, just as a reminder, Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 1030 Central Time, live on our Facebook page. It is the new home for our nerd news segment. So call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an email with your MP3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And you could be internet famous. We do ask that you keep the voicemails and MP3s on the shorter side, two minutes or less, uh, so that we could share the air with the other nerds. We have lots of people that call in live these days, and we love it, and we appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. If you're new to this show and you would rather listen... Man, coming up with jokes on the fly when you've drank this much Manischewitz, let me tell you, it's hard to make them appropriate not racist and not sexually charged. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that's just, I think you can just leave it right there, buddy, because at this point I've switched over to hard liquor and I'm not going to do much better. Fair enough. If you're new to this show and you wish it was a Kwanzaa celebration, I assure you, we try to yep, include you went, you went everyone. So no, you did I'm it. not. I'm, we try to include everyone here. Again, we celebrated Happy Honda Days and Toyota-thon. We're inviting everyone in, Okay. It's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com, but hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like Richard Kovars. This is a name I've never heard. So he's officially- he's been around for a long time. Oh, he has. Okay. Well, Richard, we appreciate it. I don't know why you still stick with us. I, I only you. hope that by the time this comes out, he's still donating. Yeah. Let's not remind him. Maybe we should be quiet about this. Maybe we shouldn't let Richard yes, know that uh, he's still donating money. <laughs> uh, before we go, our weekly shout out goes to all of you during this holiday season. Uh, we make a lot of jokes. Uh, it's Hanukkah. Christmas is coming up. Um, we know that you guys have other entertainment choices. You choose to spend your time with us. And for that, we love you. We appreciate you. We would not have a show without you. And it warms our hearts. And uh, in all seriousness, uh, it has been a bright spot in a year that otherwise has been a real, it's been a real tough pill to swallow, it's, let's just say. It's been a pile uh, of so shit. So thank you, let's everybody. Call it what it is. What's that? It's been a pile of shit. Let's call it what it is. It's been a real, real pile of shit. Um, so thank you so much to all of you. Uh, happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Blessed Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas. Uh, I don't know what other holidays fall during this winter time. Uh, winter solstice, um, you know, uh, 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 something about the Black Sabbath. I don't know if you're the one of those. Black if you're a Satanist, what? I don't know. I like look. Solstice I'm to be is the pagan here. one. Okay, All right, we're done here. Thank I'm you. trying to be inclusive, Matt. <laughs> uh, again, thank you. We love you. There's no show without you. And frankly, if we didn't have the show, what else would we have? It's Our true. families. Come on. <laughs> our families, our friends, our jobs. Let's be real. Certainly not interested in them. 
Thank you to everybody listening to the show. Happy holidays, y'all. And thanks for spending another year with us. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off.